0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Buzz and Biz, the success podcast. I'm your host, Steve Markey. In this episode, I welcome Mark from Short Break Security. Mr. Wolfgang, if you wouldn't mind, could you give us an intro and background about your business?
1: Sure. Nice <clears throat> um, uh, my, my background, uh, I went in the Navy right after high school. Um, I spent eight years in the Navy. I was an instructor. I operated radars on the ship. Um, also set up some A big part of my job is setting up data networks between ships and planes and submarines. So we set up uh, information sharing type networks, um, not necessarily IP based, but um, networks uh, using HF and uh, UHF uh, radios. Um, After I got out of the Navy in 2000, I went to work for Red Hat. I taught all the Red Hat certified engineer courses. Um, That only lasted for about six months when one of my students came through my class and recruited me or, or told me about this profession called ethical hacking, where you could break into banks and uh, hospitals and other companies and governments and, and other entities without going to jail. Um, so next thing you know, I'm up in DC area, Northern Virginia, doing some interviews and, and uh, since I had a real keen interest in security uh, ever since the late nine, mid to late 90s, I jumped on the opportunity to become a professional penetration tester um, and have been doing that since October of 2000. So coming up on 20 years of doing penetration testing. Um, it's been, uh, it's an incredibly challenging career because uh, penetration t- test is a threat emulation exercise. We are emulating a variety of different threats, internet born threats, um, internal threats that might, might come from a contractor or a visitor, or a janitor maybe to a facility. Um, So you have to continually study up on the latest tactics and uh, approaches that attackers use so that you can accurately mimic those. Um, When I first got out, I worked for a bunch of, when I first got into the field, I worked for a bunch of different consulting companies, spent about four years as a contractor for a department of energy, doing assessments on all the national labs, national science labs, national weapons labs, uh, went to places like Los Alamos National Labs and Sandia, um, Lawrence Livermore and Lawrence Berkeley. Did assessments on, uh, you know, top, uh, some some of the smartest minds in IT and information security uh, that had built their own adaptive, reactive firewalls and IDSs before uh, a lot of commercial, a lot of them were commercially available. So real interesting uh, work to do and real important work to do for uh, the country. In 2007, I quit that job and started working for myself, Um, started tapping into the network that I had built uh, at DOE and started providing assessments of the DOE labs and facilities um, before they would undergo their formal assessment, kind of an assessment prep pen test, if you will. Um, That was real good. Um, Would hire some contractor friends to uh, help me out and uh, started my company, Shorebreak Security, in 2010. So we're over 10 years now. Went for the first few years with just hiring contractors. uh, In 2016, um, started hiring W-2 employees and building what I call a real company with benefits and vacation and 401k. And profit sharing, um, you know, and that's been uh, incredibly rewarding. Um, it's kind of unexpected because I never, nece- I didn't necessarily want to have employees and the responsibility and obligation that came with that. Um, now we have about eight full time employees. We have a really good internship program where we're developing uh, people into penetration testers and then hopefully hiring them at the end of the three month internship. Um, We have uh, some of our largest customers are the U.S. National Weather Service. We do pen testing on all the national mission critical uh, forecast centers like the National Hurricane Center, the Storm Prediction Center in Oklahoma that issues tornado products, tsunami warning centers. We have two of them in the U.S., one in Alaska, one in Hawaii. Um, We have a couple large Department of Energy national labs where we do where we offer our continuous penetration testing service called Lifeguard. Um, That's something that I developed in 2013. After being in the industry for about 13 years, um, the traditional model was coming once a year and do a pen test. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, or it didn't make a lot of sense to me at the time, and it still doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now it's kind of akin to running a virus scanner on your computers and servers once a year. the, The, attack surface is very dynamic. Configuration changes happen all the time and hundreds of vulnerabilities are published every single day. So we've been real successful in developing this continuous penetration testing service offering. Um, We provide it to healthcare, governments, smaller tech companies, um, some bigger tech companies. Uh, So that's a quick rundown on what we do. uh, Something that one of my business philosophies is, is that I don't take on any work unless I can assure the customer that we'll do a great job. So we only offer penetration testing because uh, information security field is very broad and you can go exceptionally deep in each of the different disciplines. So we just do penetration testing. Uh, that's my area of expertise. And that's the only uh, way I know how to vet uh, my employees by giving them practical penetration tests and making sure they can break in, making sure their skills are valid. You know, certifications are one thing, but skills are, skills are everything. So that's a quick uh, background on myself and my company, Shorebreak.
0: Congrats, Mark. Thank you. That's uh, a great overview. If I may, because some of their audience members may not have the cyber background per se. Yep. I, I'm of the opinion that some folks confuse vulnerability scanning, penetration testing, as well as a red team exercise. Yep. Coming from a guru like yourself, could, could you define those three terms for us real
1: quick? Sure. sure. Vulnerability scanning is largely automated using a tool Um, The tool has a big signature database, just like a virus scanner would. It it knows what it knows and it doesn't know much beyond what's in the database. So they're automated tools, they're very useful. Um, It's up to the operator of that tool to determine uh, which vulnerabilities are false positives. Uh, And of course, if it doesn't find something, um, you're kind of in the dark. So they definitely have their uses. We use them on every single engagement. Where penetration testing really differs is that penetration testing is is largely a manual effort. We do do use vulnerability scanners. Um, Most of the time we don't find much useful because most of our customers use vulnerability scanners, the same ones that we do in fact. Um, They might scan their systems once a week. So the likelihood of us finding something that they didn't is pretty low. How we're successful is that we mimic attackers by manually poking and probing and and doing uh, anything from password guessing to just clicking around in a a web application and learning its features and functions and bypassing logic errors or authorization errors. Um, So those are really, uh, pen testing is largely manual, whereas vulnerability scanning and a vulnerability assessment is largely automated. Both have their uses for sure um the last question steve red team, red teaming red teaming is uh, more of a an emulation of a covert threat uh where uh penetration testing happens in a defined time frame maybe we have a week two weeks three weeks to conduct an assessment on an organization maybe there's 500 external hosts available and 2000 ports to poke and probe so we have a compressed time frame The customer knows we're coming. Most of the IT staff knows we're coming. So there's some artificialities that present themselves. Um, Oftentimes the system administrators uh, in an organization are quite defensive. Um, Essentially we're finding things maybe that they're doing wrong um, or maybe we find a vulnerability that might might make them look bad Um, Of course, that's not our our intent. Our intent is to just objectively identify a vulnerability. So uh, maybe system administrators will look at their log files every day. Maybe they'll run TCP dump or another packet sniffer and look at every single thing we're doing over the network. Maybe once we get in, they'll shut down our access, Um, which is not how the business would typically operate so where a red team comes into play is a red team is more of a covert assessment where uh, maybe only the cio or the or the person that hired us knows that we're coming Um, the it staff doesn't know we're coming and the time frame is a lot longer maybe six months it's all about being covert when we're doing a pen test we're coming in loud Um, if you don't detect us or your organization doesn't detect us when we're doing a penetration test you've got major problems. So um, one of our employees was on the Navy red team. Um, They do all kinds of nation state operations. So they are all about being covert, not being detected uh, and maintaining access for a long period of time after they compromise some hosts. So unfortunately, most organizations don't have the budget to hire a red team assessment so we do few red team assessments. They're really fun. Uh, one time, uh, a contractor of mine and myself were snuck into the basement of a federal building. We were there for a week. The only person that knew we were there were the procurement folks and the CIO. And we sat in the basement. And at any minute, we were waiting for the door to be kicked down. Um, we have to use a completely different approach, uh, covert approach, very... Uh, low uh, threshold of packets being sent on the network. Long story short, it took them, uh, we compromised the uh, facility, fully obtained domain administrator access and root on all the Linux servers. And the site didn't detect our presence for about three weeks after we left. So red teaming is very valuable. Um, Unfortunately, it's not carried out too often because of budget constraints.
0: Great. Thanks, Mark. And so to expand upon that, just so the audience understands, folks may have heard of what's called a blue team. Could you talk about the, what you find a blue team or a SOC or MSSP and their job to detect you in essence and how they do that?
1: Yep. Blue team are more defensive folks. So uh, I was talking about my Navy employee, um, they, the pipeline, the, the way they train them is usually they spend three years on the navy blue team and then three years on the red team. So they get a lot of experience both from the attack and defense. Blue team are usually all about deep, uh, defense and detection, detecting attackers. Um, so they're looking at intrusion detection systems, uh, you know, which are similar to burglar alarms or in, intrusion detection systems. Um, they're monitoring events as they come in, monitoring compromise and responding to them. That's not something we do, necessarily. Great. Thank you.
0: And so a couple of minutes ago, you touched upon what I once heard a a fellow pen testing guru mention that it's a lifestyle, it's a passion to do pen testing. Well, you have to commit yourself. So can you elaborate that on, on what that means for you and, and like you said, yeah. the skill set, staying sharp, et cetera?
1: Yeah, yeah. To, to be good at any career field, you really need to be passionate. Be, to become top level, high level, you really need to be uh, passionate about it. I don't care if it's being a firewall admin or being a general security guy or you know, being a, somebody who does concrete work. You, you probably should be really passionate about it. You probably should be really proud of your work and your work quality. Um, So it really does take a lot of passion to be a very good pen tester because you need to read every single day. You need to read general security news. You need to be subscribed to uh, various forums where new vulnerabilities are published. When new vulnerabilities are published, uh, say in Cisco routers, you probably have your own test bed set up at home. Um, you probably have a bunch of virtual machines to test to, to install and test various versions of software. Um, you're constantly learning, developing your own skills, whether it's programming um, exploit, which would lead to exploit development. Um, a vulnerability is just one part of it. To be a, a pen tester or an attacker, you need to have an exploit, which is basically a weaponized uh, piece of code that's designed to exploit a particular vulnerability. So. It takes constant learning, constant study. It can be tiring at times because um, sometimes viruses or worms or what have you come out uh, in inopportune times in life around the holidays. I remember years ago, there was a sequel, worm that came out right around Christmas or Thanksgiving, um, but that's all part of it.
0: Great, and you mentioned how you expanded your company. Congrats again. Thanks. Any lessons learned as far as onboarding
1: folks, hiring, keeping the pipeline going? You know, uh, onboarding people and bringing really high quality people, um, you obviously the resume and certifications are just the bare minimum starting point. Um, It's all about skills and vetting and validating that people have those skills. So the first thing that that anybody that wants to work for Shorebreak Security does, is they have to pass our practical test. And so we give them a VPN bundle, they VPN into our lab, and they conduct an assessment. We have about 13 vulnerable hosts in a Cisco device, and they should be able to compromise uh, many, if not most of them. Uh, We just had an OSCP, and OSCP is one of the hardest pen pen testing certifications to obtain. you would They have to pass a 24-hour practical on the OSCP, and this individual only compromised three hosts, and they really didn't uh, use everything they obtained to leverage and pivot to other hosts. Uh, they obtained the SSH private key for one uh, Linux host, which they could have used to gain access to many more hosts, and then they could have escalated privileges and become root on everything. So, um if you don't pass the practical, you really don't go on um, with us. Uh, because, you know, pen testing can be dangerous if folks use tools in the wrong way, um, especially when we're talking about pen testing uh, operational devices and networks such as SCADA or EMS or in any kind of industrial control system, which Weather Service has quite a few of those um, systems that we can't crash. We have to really be careful in testing operational networks. Uh, Otherwise the mission of the organization uh, can't continue. Uh, One time I was brought in to do a pen test on a different NOAA system that uh, controlled satellites. So this this computer systems flew the birds, they took commands on where the satellites should go, and then they ingested the data from the satellites. And I came in and the, uh, the ISSO, the security officer said, uh, I told her we need a week to do the pen test with two people. And she said that, uh, last year the pen test only took one day and it was one person. And then she later told me that, uh, he ran a vulnerability scanner on the mainframe, crashed the mainframe and it had to be restored from tape backup, which took, you know, a week or so. And so clearly, um, There was a real good question you asked about the difference between a vulnerability scan and a pen test. Clearly, um, some junior consultant came in, ran a tool uh, in a a dangerous manner because these tools can check for denial of service conditions. Um, How do you check for denial of service condition? You try it. Uh, So that's probably what happened in this case. Um, So we can't afford to have those type of events happen. So screening, uh, of course, background checks and and screening and validating technical skills is a real big thing. So we start off um, with our new employees, giving them access to, you know, our our internet-facing uh, hosts that our customers have. These are hosts sitting on the internet that anybody in the world can attack. So they're pretty resilient. Um, so we kind of develop trust and build trust along that way.
0: Thank you. It, is,
1: it, it can be challenging to find really skilled pen testers. Some people have terrific resumes and certifications, but they just don't have the practical skills to back it up. And something else that I really emphasize is writing and communication skills because our product, the product of a penetration test is a penetration test report. And that lives on for years and is reviewed by others. So if you can't accurately and professionally communicate the results of a pen test or the impact of a particular vulnerability or or a whole bunch of vulnerabilities chained together, um, you're only marginally useful. So writing skills are really important.
0: Completely agree. Soft skills in whatever endeavor, especially in in my opinion, in tech are are very much needed. So to expand upon the experience you just articulated, speaking for myself as a cyber consultant who does scanning and pen testing, et cetera, not as hardcore as you, I come across more than several organizations or clients where there is concern about bringing down production systems. And so from a a standpoint of risk management, we're either Assessing a, a non production environment that may not be completely the same or replicated to production, some are, okay. or some of these organizations just in essence want that scan, right? They're very concerned about an exploit bringing down production systems, networks, etc. Yep. In your opinion, do you, and I'm assuming that you're going to lean towards it's more of a risk not to assess as closely as possible and fully as possible the potential exploits and the ability to exploit and what could be affected versus really embracing a a very low risk yet maybe not so thorough assessment.
1: Yeah, it's always a very fine line to walk. We wanna do really thorough testing at the same time, not have any impact to the organization. So it's a very fine balance. Uh, you really have to know what you're doing. Ideally, um, some production systems should never be tested in production. I'll give you an example in the, in the you know control systems world where you're talking about uh, power plants. Um, Power plants should probably never be tested in production. And from a liability standpoint, I hate to, and I almost always refuse to test production networks. The one time I did, t- uh, excuse me, test a production network, at the insistence of the CISO, it was on a power plant network, and they had a Siemens EMS that was supposedly fully redundant. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that cost millions upon millions of dollars and i said if we're going to test this we're going to be very very careful i'm going to sit in the control room with the scada engineer and i'm going to look at the blinky lights and the green ones say they're the primary systems and the secondary ones are you know red lights or what have you and i'm will test these secondary systems alone we reduced our we really slowed down our port scans, really slowed down the number of ports we would scan. I think maybe we started at scanning four hosts and 10 ports, which should have zero impact. Um, we did that. Everything was fine. We're looking at the screens, making sure the systems are still up. We go to the next level. Maybe we scan 100 ports, which, once again, on four hosts, shouldn't be a problem. Next thing you know, the operators lost control of the power plant, meaning they, the computers that they were using to monitor and, and control the plant were no longer working. So they had to physically go and into the various uh, rooms to do any kind of work. So this um, clearly wasn't our, our fault. Um, this system built by Siemens was supposedly fully redundant So we highlighted a major flaw in the implementation of that system. So it depends, you know, I hate to test some production systems, but some production systems can be tested in a safe manner. Um, When we test web applications, uh, ideally we test, uh, you know, them in a staging or development environment, because sometimes the only way that... The only way that you know if you can modify a user's password or you can delete data is to do it and see what the results are. So we don't do that kind of testing on production. And it's pretty easy for most shops, especially in a virtualized world we live in today, for them to just spin up a new dev or staging instance that we can test. That is, might not be exact, it might not have access to the exact same database. Hopefully it doesn't or else things are gonna get deleted, but it'll have a subset of the data and it will allow us to do our testing in a thorough manner.
0: Cool. Well, thanks, Mark. Do you have any
1: parting thoughts or statements? Um, let's see, you know, the information security in- industry in general is, is evolving rapidly. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, post COVID, how things have changed. Um, it hasn't changed too much in the pen testing space. Um, it has introduced a lot more vulnerabilities in, for remote workers. So we are doing some more testing. Uh, I call it VPN role testing because a lot of folks do VPN in now to their organizations. So um, the testing that we do uh, around VPN role testing is really it's really network segmentation testing. Um, so a VPN user is in a specific group and ideally uh, the people in the accounting group only have access to the servers and the web applications and other applications that they need. They have no business being able to SSH or RDP into a domain controller, so they shouldn't be allowed to. So we um, will get maybe five different credentials for VPNs um, with five different users spread out over different groups and then we'll target specific internal uh, assets to see if we can reach them. So that's one of the, that's really the only uh, change that we've seen. Otherwise, um, you know, uh, all of my employees and contractors are really adjusted to working remotely and we're kind of introverts. So we're, we're pretty happy just sitting behind our computer and hacking.
0: Yeah, so I think you're touching upon authorization challenges. Right. And with VPN or Citrix RDP. For those who are not technical. That's a remote uh, desktop protocol uh, windows remote access and SSH a lot of Linux or networking equipment. Mark mentioned Cisco. So great stuff. Well, thank you, Mark. This has been Mark Wolfgang with Shorebreak Security, and I'm your host, Steve Markey. This is the Buzz and Biz Success Podcast, and thank you for listening. Take care.